glad you could join us for episode 137 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and Wayne and I are not baked as we continue our analysis of James Cameron's cyberpunk thriller, Dark Angel, starring nice. Jessica Alba, Michael Weatherly, and Ashley Scott. Yeah, you like that, huh? I, I do. I, I like you. Just you went right for it. You're not even ignoring it. You're not going all tipper gore. You're just saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this right out there. We're gonna acknowledge it." Speaking of acknowledge tonight we're here to discuss episode 14 of season two titled love in vain i don't know about that segue there dave i don't know if but, that <laughs> but before we get to that wayne and i want to remind you we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab you can record your own audio clips and the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi tv rewatch and we'd encourage you to consider joining the facebook group and join the discussions there or you can uh, send us a telegraph yes absolutely yeah um i used to know morse code by the way did you yeah way back in the day uh when i was in radio in college, you, you to get your license, you actually had to pass a mass a Morse code test. No kidding. I know, right? and I'm thinking, like, what the hell does this have to do with radio broadcasting? Right. I mean, I, so it's so funny because like nowadays, any knucklehead with a microphone and a laptop can get on. You know. I, I, exactly, <laughs> and and uh, probably most don't even know what Morse code is. Well, maybe they do, but uh, well, we know because Logan knows, right? But if that were me in that hospital, I would, I'd be like, hey, it's making some weird sounds. <laughs> yeah, can somebody check my monitor? Yeah. <laughs> Is there something hooked up wrong? I don't know. Like, so, yeah. yeah, so, uh, well, listen, we'll get to this in a second. Um, you know, we don't have any really sci-fi news, but there are a lot of shows that are beginning in January. And, you know, back in the old days, it was the fall premieres, but now we've got not only the fall premieres, but we've got the January and February premieres. And just one show that I wanted to mention is Colony, which uh, is going to be on the USA Network. And I know you haven't seen it yet, but the pilot aired January 14th, 2016. We're recording this on the 12th, but it previewed on USA Network's website, December 21st, 2015. So plenty of people have seen it. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. Uh, not too much, but, uh, you know, it, it has a lot of promise. And right off the bat, it stars Josh Holloway as Will Sullivan. And, and everybody knows Josh Holloway as Sawyer from Lost. He was also in Intelligence. I, and I know I always ask you this. Did you watch Intelligence? You do always ask me that. And the answer is still the same. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, this one's created by Carlton Cuse who was one of the creators on Lost, along sure. with Damon Lindelof. So, yeah. you know, it's got that good pedigree. So Lindelof so, is not involved with this one, right? Uh, no. Nope, just Carlton Cuse. He's too busy and, making television awesomeness with the leftovers. Yeah, well, I have to admit, once I came back, I'd agree with you. I told you. Uh, but, but I think Carlton Cuse also was involved with intelligence. So, you know, the, this connection he has with Josh Holloway, and, and rightly so. I think Josh Holloway's great. Just needs uh, to find the right project. I just, you know what, A, I never really cared for Sawyer that much on Lost. And maybe people are shocked that I should say that, but I don't know. I didn't really like him as Sawyer, so I'm not much into any of the other stuff that he does, you know. Now, is it that you didn't like Sawyer or you didn't like him as Sawyer? Well, take your pick. Well, but I mean, I think if you didn't <laughs> no, like Sawyer, you, I, you, were, know, I don't know. you were supposed to not like him. Right, exactly. Right, so he, so did, a good he job. did a good job. Yes, yeah. exactly. Too good. Okay. All right. Well, the premise here is that Earth is under martial law after an alien invasion, which is referred to as the arrival. You know, we've got curfews with sirens. We've got drones surveilling everything. But we don't know in the pilot what the aliens want or what they're doing yet. We don't see them, but we do see the Red Hats. And obviously, these are collaborators of some ilk. Uh, you know, they're basically military police. They're certainly looked down upon by the the characters that we see we do find though that those in charge are setting about culling the weak and, and that insulin is only available in the black market there's a barter system going on but certainly overtones of you know the nazis with you know what they were trying to do you know producing that pure aryan race we also speaking about germany we've got walls that are built around the city which are really reminiscent of the berlin wall and there's an awesome shot of the wall high above the Hollywood sign. 
So in, in the pilot, we see Holloway's character sneaking out of the restricted zone to look for his 12-year-old son who went missing during the invasion. Truckies in, explodes at a checkpoint, and we go from there. And we, we slowly learn a little bit about his backstory and that he's not necessarily who we thought he was at the beginning. You know, his one friend says, guys like Will and me, someday our resumes are going to catch up to us. And we're thinking like, oh, okay, well, it sounds something uh, militaristic or, you know, Navy SEAL or something like that. It does, though, appear that he and his wife are part of the resistance. Of course, alien invasion, we have to have a resistance. Uh, She knows how to talk on the phone about her husband going to a party, I guess, in case the call was monitored and then all of a sudden he's taken I was about from to say the- like knowing how to talk on the phone is, doesn't seem like a really great <laughs> skill you know uh well hey we're in the future alien a big girl i could talk on the phone no i guess it's not really in the future but <laughs> it's present day but anyway is it present day I, I think more or less. They didn't put it like a little bit in the future? Oh, I don't know. You know, the, I, generally the way I always try to get a handle on that is looking at the vehicles. Right. And and the thing is, everybody's riding a bicycle. Oh, so, yeah. So, well, that's like Man in the High Castle, right? Well, yeah. Because it's, it's like the 60s, but the cars are all like still from like the 40s and stuff, it seems like. Right, right, but, right, right. But here you wonder whether or not it's it's part of, uh, you know, the alien uh, control in that that they're not allowed to have cars or vehicles. So I mean, obviously the red hats have vehicles, but anyway, he's taken from this prison. All of a sudden, he ends up in this fancy party where he's told by the governor that his true identity as a ranger is known, and they want him to head a task force to capture the leader of the resistance, who goes by the moniker of Geronimo. What would you do, he asks his wife, who's horrified that he's considering collaborating, though in his mind it's the only way to keep his family safe. And, and obviously it comes down to, you know, the, this moral decision that Will's got to make. You know, do, do I do they, sell out? Do they know he's part of the resistance? I guess they don't, right? Well, we don't really know. And then I'll, I'm, I've got it in my notes, but I'm not going to say it, but there's a real twist at the end of the episode so about who is and who isn't in the resistance. So I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, it's got promise. I mean, you know, we're getting all these invasion shows, uh, Falling Skies. We had V a few years ago. Uh, But is this one going to really, if sure, is this one going to really be any different? It remains to be seen, but, you know, I'll I'll give it a go for a while. Okay. So keep me updated. (laughs) I will definitely keep you and everybody else updated. All right. So we got... One piece of email and listener feedback this week, and it's from Dan Mikalski, who we haven't heard from in a while. And he says, greetings. I recently listened to your Take 5 podcast, and while I understand your concerns, I couldn't disagree with you more. Theater experience. I enjoy the theater experience, and as I can't afford a private home theater, it's the only way I can see films in 3D and THX. And while I share your concerns about the riffraff, it can easily be avoided by choosing days and times when there'll be low attendance and adult audiences. And theaters themselves are evolving to address your concerns with adult-only screenings. Um, I guess I didn't know about it. Of course, that tells you how long it's been since I've been to the theater. And, you know, I guess uh, I don't necessarily consider myself a film buff, per se, so that I don't necessarily want to see things in 3D. Uh, what is THX? Is that, so, is that something that it's a sound Lucas? System. Oh, it's a sound system. Okay. Again, tells you what tells you what I know. Um, I do. Well, again, I did the last few times I went to the theater. I did go like on a Thursday morning at 11 o'clock and there were five guys my age in the theater. So uh, I do try to do that. And but I guess at the end of the day, I, I, I noticed this about myself and sporting events as well. You know, my brother keeps calling me once or twice a football season. Hey, I got Ravens tickets. I know. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but, you know, my 52 inch is right there. Dude. Kitchen. I know. Oh, my God. I know. So um, Dan goes on. Do I have your brother's number? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Talking about source material. And he says, personally, I think you've underestimated the difference between mediums when it comes adapting books to the screen. Recently, I read The Shining, and the television miniseries that's faithful to the novel is atrocious. 
And while Stanley Kubrick's loose cinematic adaptation is a masterpiece that exceeds the Stephen King novel, this isn't always the case, obviously, but dogged adherence to source material will take you to some bad places and you'll miss out on some really inspired films such as The Wizard of Oz, Planet of the Apes, and Blade Runner, all loose adaptations that exceed the novel, in my opinion. And, you know, that's really something I hadn't given much thought to. And it's difficult to argue with, you know, really. No, and that's, you know, I kind of came to this realization with the Harry Potter movies. The the first two are very pedantic recreations of the source material. Uh, and the third one, which is, I think, the best of them, is probably the one that is most tenuously... You know, related to its actual source material. Uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban is much different than the actual book, but it's a, just a fantastic movie, you know? Um, and pretty much all the others out are, you know, much more, not so much um, 100% just following along the book. Yeah, I would, I'd have to kind of agree with him there, you know? Yeah, and the examples he gives, I haven't read The Wizard of Oz. I've certainly seen the movie enough times, but I have read Pierre Boulle's I guess it's pronounced Boule or Boule, uh, Planet of the Apes. And, and I must say, the, the heck, even the second movie was better than the book. Um, did, they, did they not say damn dirty apes in the book? Uh, I, you know what? I don't remember. It's been so long since I read it. But, uh, you know, Blade Runner, which was based on the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, you know, it was good. It was weird. But the movie Blade Runner was a lot better. I, I definitely have to agree with Dan on that one. So, you know, that is something I'm going to have to rethink for sure. Yeah. Uh, Those are three and, things I like all the movies and have not read the book. So I yeah. have nothing to offer on that. Mm-hmm. And and as far as The Shining, I, I've certainly read The Shining, and I, and I think it's certainly, along with The Stand, the two most important books that Stephen King's written. And, and obviously uh, I'm sure there's some argument there, but, but those are two classics that uh, I I'd be surprised if they don't end up being taught in college at some point, if they're not already. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, you, you've read them both, right? No. Oh, I don't think I've read one thing that Stephen King has written. Really? They're, they're really outstanding books. I mean, the, you know, the, the shining is more accessible because it's only about four or 500 pages uh, as opposed to the stand, which is probably pushing 900. Yeah. And then I think he came out with the uh, unexpurgated version, which was like 1100, which I haven't read. But. Yeah, was, when I was in high school, like Stephen King was definitely all the rage, and you know, carrying around a Stephen King book was almost like kind of a fashion statement. But uh, I once again have to uh, go back to you know my parents who were pretty uh, restrictive with that kind of stuff and would never let me have a horror book in the house anyway. Hmm. But my dad has a, hu- a huge collection of sci-fi books. Hmm. So go figure. Go right. figure. Well, right, so, so I was Dan- reading like Catch Twenty Two and. I mean, yet they let me read Kurt Vonnegut. Like, I read all of Kurt Vonnegut's books when I was in 10th grade. Wow. So, you know, go figure. Sirens of Titans remains my favorite. My uh, my, my heads were in, in, in the ethereal clouds instead of down on Earth with this Stephen King stuff. Okay, well. <laughs> all right, well, well, Dan finishes up by bringing up Star Wars films. And he Easy, says, Dan. Well, no, I think he's... No, I, I read what he said. I okay, agree. oh, right. <laughs> to my mind, the greater tragedy is not that today's youth haven't seen a Star Wars film, but that they think the prequel abominations are Star Wars, or worse yet, the special editions. And, uh, you know, that's a tough one for me, because, uh, and, and we had this conversation before, that, that you know, for you, where, you know, you really were a, a, a young boy when the first round came out. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, I'm sure connect with those. And and I was a bit older, but you know, still really connected because there really wasn't as much sci-fi and certainly not much space fiction out there other than Star Trek reruns. So, you know, I, I certainly bonded with them. And then, it, it, again, because of my reluctance to go to the theater, it really took me – I mean, I saw a couple of them here and there on HBO, but it took me buying the set of – episodes one two and three you know a month or so ago to really sit down and rewatch them and while i don't know if i'd use the word abomination i mean they were okay yeah <laughs> okay, okay is a good word for it. and you know episode three is a pretty good movie i would yeah. say yeah of the three for sure yeah um and they're enjoyable 
and everything. But um, I think what I can't remember what we got into this before or not when we talked about Star Wars, but with J.J. Abrams dialing it back and going to more real things and less CGI, I think that really just creates a more a universe that you feel like it's actually there. Whereas I know when I'm watching that scene in Attack of the Clones where they're, you know, whipping through Coruscant and Anakin's jumping from one car to the next and things like that. You know, you're just like it 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 pulls you out of the experience because you know what you're watching is basically a cartoon. Right. Sure. You know? Yeah. You didn't say the R word though. Um okay. Really? Really? Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well it's it's not to the point where you say really you know, but it is the point where you just it, it takes you out of it, and you you say, you know, and I, I realize I'm watching something fabricated, which obviously you know you are when you're watching the movie, but when you see something that like are people in costumes and things like that, rather than the um, the CGI, then you feel less like you know it keeps you in, engaged with the what's on screen more. I think. Yeah, and the other thing that I'd have to sit down with a stopwatch, obviously, on all six films, but what really struck me about one, two, and three is the amount of time devoted to action sequences, either in space or on the land, and it just seems as if almost half the movie was just action scenes, and... Uh, you know, I like a good action scene, but most of them drag on far too long. You know, you mentioned the uh, pod racer Ugh. event where, again, uh, like you had mentioned, it, it almost seemed like it went on for 20 minutes or so. And, and you, you're probably right. But yikes, yeah, that was only just, one race. Right. I know. Like just in the middle. We're going to have a big race in the middle of the movie and um, it's going to last 20 minutes. And it's just going to be people racing around in circles. Yep. It's so. like, listen. When they made Ben Hur and they had this idea, they knew like people can only take so much of watching the horses go around in the circle, right? Yep. Yep. So, well, listen, Dan, we want to thank you for chiming in with that. I'm certainly going to rethink my approach to source material because that's a difficult argument to, to, uh, to fight against. So, all right. Well, anyway, we're glad to have you with us for Dark Angel. And this is season two, episode 14, we're going to talk about tonight. And this one's written by Michael Angeli, who wrote Radar Love and Medium is the Message. Directed by David Grossman, who did a bunch of Angel, Buffy, Desperate Housewives. And he's nice. done eight, eight episodes of 12 Monkeys that's currently Ooh. on that, that uh, obviously Michael Wait, is doing. It's on podcast. now? Well, no, no, no. But I mean, it's, it's <laughs> oh, coming, it's coming like, back this month. Okay. But yeah, if it, but, it's on now, my, my DVR has not been recording it. I was going to be upset. I yeah, well, freaked out the other night because... I was watching an old castle, and they were like, Agent Carter starting January 5th. I'm like, what? I was like, really? I was like, I, I, I was just upset for the rest of Castle. I was so angry because it was a couple of days after January 5th, and I hadn't recorded it. And so I went back and found out that it's not even starting till like next week, right? Exactly, right. Yep. So, uh, with a two parter. Yeah. So. This one aired March 8th, 2002. So we had a lot of guest star action in this one. Yes, we and, did. And it was uh, a lot, as you said, I know that guy. I, I've seen that girl I, before. We couldn't quite pay, place him, so we had to obviously look him up. But, but who was the one that you noticed first off? Well, the, the one I didn't need to look up at all was uh, Sam Whitworth as, as Marrow. Yeah. And he was Aiden on the uh, American version of Being Human, which, yeah. like, I just love that show. And, uh, man, to see him, and you know, and it was crazy because he's kind of a pseudo-vampire here, and in Being Human, he Aiden is a vampire. Absolutely. Yes. And, and you wonder, because, you know, when we have these guest stars, as we do, they often are the principal uh, – character in that episode and you wonder you know how much this helped getting that role in being human i mean he he did do 11 episodes of battlestar galactica but it was um, still it was so awesome like the minute he spoke like i heard his voice i'm like because <gasps> ah! um man i really miss being human you know like i really like that both the uh the the bridge version was excellent 
And the American version was excellent. I mean, how often do you get, well, I guess sometimes. Like, well, yeah, like, but you're right. Not often. Yeah, not often where, you know, like a, a, the quote unquote knockoff is just as good. And sometimes I liked it even better. You know? Well, I know, you know, life in, uh, life on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. the same kind of thing. I haven't really seen either, but you, you know, you could speak to that. Yeah. Which one's better? Right. Well, they were both great. And I probably think flat out as a series, the, the British version is still a superior one, but I connected a lot more with the American and probably just because I watched the American version first and then went back and watched the British version after the American one had, had run its course. Right. Um, but yeah, I really like the American version of Life on Mars too. Okay. So it happens. Well, well we also had Keegan Connor Tracy who plays Rain and while I don't remember her from the nine episodes of Battlestar Galactica, the two yeah, episodes of all. Supernatural, I do remember her as the Blue Fairy in Once Upon a Time. I, I thought that was probably, I mean, I've never seen Once Upon a Time, but I imagine you would, like I saw them, like I'm sure Dave, because that yeah. sounds like a pretty big role. Yeah, it, it was a big role. And she really, you know, she looks the same. Uh, Camille Sullivan, who plays Lita, was in Man in the High Castle. She played... Karen, who was in five of the ten episodes, and I, you know, again, I, I that's obviously not the main role. I don't remember exactly who. Yeah, I, I need very little excuse for a rewatch here, Dave. So I well, think I got to go back and figure out who Karen is. Yep, uh, Missy Peregrim, who was Hottie Blood, Rookie Blue, Reaper, which is a show you watched, right? Yes. No, I don't. I I'm don't, not sure who she played in Reaper. I don't know. What, what did you episodes? say? Did you say the role? What the name of the role was? Well, Hottie Blood. In, Hottie Blood. I don't in, remember in that this, at all. Well, not in Reaper. In, oh, she's, okay. In Dark Angel. Gotcha. Uh, and then she was also in the first incarnation of Heroes. But then the one that I'm like, okay, that guy, I know where I know him from. And that was, of course, in the diner scene, Zach Santiago, who played the freelancer Agent Miller in Continuum. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. That, you know what? I Okay. I totally know who you're talking about now. Yep. Yeah. And, and he was awesome in this. And uh, and so much, you know, I mean, well, obviously he's like. I don't know if you say. I mean, he, 12 he years. No, I was just going to say uh, it was awesome to see him. Right. Uh, well, let me just get away from this for a second. All right. Just to, to jump forward. What what do you remember most about this episode? I mean, what's your favorite scene? Um, the very first time Sam Witwer was in it. Okay. And <laughs> no, no. Probably my favorite scene is um, when the uh, how, how how should we refer to them? The let's call them the Lost Boys. Okay. And girls, I mean, they're girls too, but you know, okay. Lost Boys because their place is just so much like you know the movie The Lost Boys, where all the the, the vampires hung out in there, but. You know, when they uh, came and start, uh, you know, robbing everyone in the in the club, you know, which is a bad, bad thing. I'm not yeah. supporting robbing people in clubs, but they were just kind of cool about it. You know, like I was like, you know, these guys are are bad and evil. I get, but like in a way, they're also kind of cool. I think very much in the same way that I liked Vex, especially in like the first season of Lost Girl. Yeah, yeah, you know, like he's so evil. And unapologetically so, that it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good connection. I like that. Yeah, uh, thank you. You know, for me, I, I, I really liked the scene where Max was tracking down the kids and, you know, I'll show my barcode, get all simpatico, tell them to lay low. And, and, and then, of course, she has to kick some ass. And, and, and I just really love that because it, it surprised all of them so much because clearly nobody's been able to physically stand up to them. So uh, there were a lot of great scenes in this episode. Uh, one of the things that we did kind of have answered for us that we talked about last week we get an answer right away because it appears that Max thinks Logan's over her, which seems to verify to me that it's him that's keeping them apart. Right. Yeah. Cause we did have that question last week. Right. Right. Now, one of the other things that I was puzzled about, but I think talking to you cleared it up for me because I'm thinking like, all right, what is Alec into? Is it drugs? You know, uh, she hangs up the phone when he's trying to use it to, you know, score whatever it is he's trying to score. Uh, but I think you were right because, as you said, it was really just a, a plot device 
to get Joshua out of the house, onto a bicycle, and out into the world. And smoking pot. And smoking pot, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I mean, that that's my theory. I can totally be wrong, and there's probably a lot of the people who have already watched the series are like, ah, oh, you blew it again, Wayne. You're so far up. But yeah, I don't think it's like a big issue like what alec has got going on the side i think it's just that he's always got something going on the side right and this was perfect with the two phones where he's got a cell phone in one ear the pay phone in the other uh and 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 i think you're probably right it's really just a show because i I really can't see him dealing drugs uh i can't really see him getting back into dealing you know like steroids as he was before has he cleaned up his act i don't know i mean they have a lot of money now you know you would think but what I did notice, though, is when Max goes over and hangs up the payphone, he doesn't really get mad. And he does kind of eye her up and down as he walks away, which uh-huh. would kind of verify, <laughs> the, you know, maybe there is something brewing between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, there has to be for him to, like, not, you know, if he wasn't interested in her, he would definitely not take that crap from her, right? Right. And I think now after, you know, Kirsten's email last week, I'm starting to really pay a lot more attention to the way they look at each other. Now, the other cool thing I thought was the contrast set up as Joshua's out among the Jampony riders. I guess those guys were all Jampony riders. Or or couriers for like another okay. company, maybe. I, like, I don't know, but I was wondering the same thing and I, I, I wasn't sure. Right. But they're definitely all you know, couriers of, of some kind. Right. But that contrast that's set up with him and they're having a great time socializing while Marrow has his group out there wreaking havoc, drawing attention to themselves. And, and really, you know, it, it takes us a while to figure out what it is they're up to. And, and I guess it was just to get money, right? I mean, you know, he, we learn later he says he's trying to put together an army for when the rest of the world decides it's had enough of the transgenics. But, uh, you know, were they really out there just to steal and add to the cash flow? Um, I guess, you know. Because, I mean, yeah, they got to eat still, I guess, right? Besides yeah. just eating his blood. So, um, so, yeah, they need money. Yeah. They're in the church. He's got the little collection basket. Yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> which is actually how they he gets tracked down by Max because she's got the offering envelope filled with right, cash. Right. Uh, now Max is faced with the choice of returning the girl to Marrow so she can live or not. Now, of course, at that point, she doesn't know that the girl won't die if she doesn't get her fix of his blood. But as she realizes, to a certain extent, this is still her fault in her mind, right? I mean, she's still coping with that fact and it just doesn't seem to want to go away. And just here's, you know, while these people turn out not to be Manticore, he does. Marrow is Manticore. And I guess what's the deal with him? I mean, okay, as he says, he's got the high test blood, but for what reason? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Again, my uh, I know what you're going to say. And how, <laughs> how apropos for right, this episode. Right, for this episode. I think, yeah, that's that, that, that scene with the couriers is exactly what was going on at Manticore. And they were just coming up with anything that they could think of. Um, but, but, yeah, you're right, because a lot of times they at least tell us, like, pretty much, like, what the purpose, their purpose was at Manticore, what they're intended to be. Um, for this guy, it's not really sure, right? Well, and, and really, how supercharged is his blood if, like, a measly five-foot spike that goes through his chest is going to kill him? You know? Right, right. I mean, we've seen Max's accelerated healing properties, and, and, and while we know she certainly can be killed, I don't know. No, I, yeah, and I, I, and I, I joke somewhat because that was a pretty darn big spike, which also w- was pretty fitting because, as you said, he, he does have that vam- vampire kind right. of connection yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah. So to die, you know, via sure. the spike is impaling. Uh, uh, why the hell is Logan telling Rain Max's life story and yeah. all these Manticore details? I, well, it worked. 
Yeah, I mean, and I get that he's trying to explain why Max is as she is. And I really did like that scene a lot, you know, where he's really basically laying it out there that that Max is this selfless individual who basically is all about helping everybody else and not herself. Yeah, I mean, I get like script wise, narrative wise, uh, why it had to happen. Um, but, you know, I guess within the story itself, you could say that it was um, just like, uh, you know, like he's trying to find a way to connect with this girl, right? Yeah. And to sure. get to her because she she is a lost girl, right? I mean, she is completely almost beyond hope at this point, And he's trying to show her, like, well, the way you're looking at things is wrong. And let me tell you about Max, who sees things the right way. I guess. Right, right, exactly. And, and you know, that is a, a perfect analogy using the, you know, the lost girls comparison because they, I said lost girls, actually yeah. lost boys, but uh, they are lost girls. But, but, you know, just the whole, just searching for some kind of connection to the world and as often happens, whether it's through drugs, prostitution, gang membership, you know, that, that, you know, we see a lot of that in contemporary society as well. But I will say that Logan makes up for it when he shows up at Joshua's as Max is trying to calm Joshua down. And then he really kind of tenderly attempts to explain to him that his distress is caused by the drugs. And while Joshua, as we've said, has very often been comic relief and, and, and certainly he was funny he you know i don't it, it, I, it was really interesting the way his uh character appeared in this episode because it was funny but it was also you know emotional on one hand and then when he goes through that little speech to max at the end that we'll talk about about his life you know just kind of looking from the inside to the world outside it was pretty sad uh, uh, really sad. Um, but on the other hand, like, I, th- I think he realizes he's got like a max, you know, sure. in his life and everything. But, but yeah, you know, you're right. Like they, they, for the most part have, you know, two uses for Joshua. One is the, um, you know, obviously the comic relief, but then there's the almost maudlin sentimentality, uh, of we're buddies, we're together, we're brother and sister, whatever, you know, that, it kind of borders on that a little bit, I think, at the end here. Um, they might... I felt like they were kind of overplaying the, the, you know, the drug freakout. I mean, he smoked a little bit of weed, and people don't, like, completely freak out on that stuff. There might be health teachers all over the country right now are ready to write their email response. But, you know, I, I thought it just seemed like they Sci-fi overplayed Sci-fi TV that. rewatch at gmail.com, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I know what so, you're saying. So, so yeah, I, I just felt like it, it, it was a bit much that time. But I, I got it because it, it was sad because, like... Um, He's been he, so sheltered and so right. innocent about everything. Right, and he says, I, I can't be, right? Oh, Joshua, not meant to be outside people, not meant to be, you know? Like, yeah. he says, like, like he isn't even... He's not supposed to exist, you know? Like, he, he, he sees himself as kind of like this freak that was created he can forget that once in a while when he in the basement painting uh he has friends like alec and max and logan and cindy and cindy right and so he 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 can kind of think like well i am a part of this world right i can be a part of this world because i have these people who accept me but then he goes out into the real world and it doesn't happen. And now he feels like an outcast and a freak again. And what was really even nearly as heartbreaking is when he recounts word for word what those people said at the diner once he took the helmet off. I mean, you know, when they were making, you know, dog jokes, of course, they hadn't seen him yet. And he was kind of going along with it. Yes. But, uh, now, the other thing that I was wondering about is Max planning to kill Marrow when she leaves Joshua's. I mean, obviously she ends up killing him, but I don't know that, was that her intention? Or was it just to, you know, I'm taking these kids with me, see ya. Or yeah. did she expect to have to put him down? Uh, I mean, it, it certainly must have been in the back of her mind, but I don't think she ever goes out intending to kill. 
No, right. I don't either. But yeah. is this a special circumstance? I mean, she's she's had this connection, right? I mean, he had her. He could have killed her. But he says, I'm going to let you go because I want rain back. Right. And I think certainly there was that Manticore connection that probably enabled him to cut her some slack. I'm not sure why he would trust her, given her Manticore training. And you wonder whether... Well, because he knows that she's going to bring Rain back, right? Well, do we? I don't know. I think he does, because I, he can. He can. He know. He can at least read what Matt. He's like. He tells her, you know, she's dying. If you don't bring her back, she's going to die, and that's going to be on you. As he knows, the you know, the physiological symptoms of withdrawal from his blood that he knows that they're going to think she is dying. And they're not going to be able to do anything about it, so they're not going to have any choice but to bring her back or to let her die, and what they think is letting her die. And he's pretty sure that Max, being this, she's obviously altruistic, right? She's there. Like if yeah. she if she were selfish, she wouldn't be there in the first place. So being altruistic, he knows she's going to make the call of bringing Rain back. Okay. Um, and then I guess I was wondering whether his death's going to have any pronounced effect on her. And, uh, and I'm guessing no. Like you said, she never goes out with the intention of killing someone. Does it happen? It yeah. happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah, it happens sometimes. Did he deserve it? Well, I think you could argue, yes, he did. So, the well, quote, anyway. Uh, Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah, great flick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so opening scene, tired of feeling sorry for herself. Are we Our, just getting to the opening scene I know, now? I know, we are. Regarding her relationship with Logan, she agrees to go to a club with Cindy, and they're waiting in line to get in, and that's when we're first introduced to the lost boys who forced their way in, and as you mentioned, that was your favorite scene, and, and, and it was certainly pretty cool, and obviously, we immediately suspect that yeah, they're- I, I actually, in my notes, I like this, I said, uh, the lead guy is kind of cool in a sociopathic way. Right. And, and, and certainly um, 10 episodes ago, we'd have thought for sure they must be Manticore. But now it's like, well, they're either Manticore or part of White's group. I was but, pretty sure they weren't White's group. Okay. But after one of them slugs Cindy, she sees the barcode and tells Max. Right. All right. So obviously the main story. But, deals- but even when they're in the bar, they're kind of moving with that. They use that camera work to show their movement like they do with the X's. Yes. So, I, I mean, I was definitely thinking that they were, you know, Manticore for sure. Right. So, uh, all right. So, Dr. Shankar, who, you know, is a good character. We don't see her often, but uh, we see her again. And she calls Logan. Lover on the 100. Exactly. Well, I don't love her because she's kind of not, right. not nice, but. Right, right. And then also Battlestar Galactica she was in. But she calls Logan when the when the girl comes into the hospital going through withdrawal of some sort, notices her barcode, and, of course, she's treated uh, Max in the past. So Max tracks him down at the hospital, and, and the sick one apparently wants out of the group, but the others won't let them. So, we, you know, we start to get a feel for the kind of power that he has over this group. Max confronts them and, and the other girl tries to take on Max who promptly kicks her ass. And uh, you know, that, that was certainly a good scene. Logan shows up. I was glad to see Max's reaction to Logan showing up and that she was not pleased. What are you doing here? Yeah. And she was about to, you know, beat the crap out of some more of those people. And then Logan shows up and they roll. Well, again, it's, you know, it's that whole damsel in distress and, she doesn't need you to save her, and she no. already told you she's got this. Right. So why didn't you listen? Well, you know, he went after her in Harbor Lights, and he kind of saved her life. So yeah, Well, I, mean, I understand that. But as far as plot devices go, it, it, we, we discover that this girl is not Manticore after all, even though she's got a barcode. Right, she's like, ow, I just got that put on. You know, exactly. Like, and, and, of course, she had no idea when they even mentioned a manticore. See, this is a problem. All you kids out there, when you go and get your barcode, well, not barcodes, but tattoos, you know, you should know what it says. If you're getting some kind of symbol in, like, another language, if you don't know that language, don't get that permanently inscribed on your skin. You know, I wonder when 
Dark Angel was airing whether or not you could buy barcode temporary tattoos. That would have been cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. So, all right. Well, apparently, let's see if I can find them. Look on eBay. Yeah. All right. Well, apparently, these four are part of this church run by Marrow who gives them some sort of a drug, although at this point we still don't know what it is, gives them manticore-like strength and abilities. The girl's now at Logan's while Max takes the envelope with the offerings in it, and we learn that he's manticore, and that's when we see that his disciples drink his blood through a glass tube yeah. that he's plunged into his arm. Uh, it's just the, the, the sexual imagery here is just ludicrous. <laughs> you know, like he... Pops that thing to his arm. The girl comes over and sucks on it. It's just like, really? Well, I mean, there there are certainly the vampire overtones. And is it I don't just think, me going there with this? Or? I think it is just you. No, I don't uh, think I'm so. trying to steer it into vampire. But someone but, out look, there, back me up. But but obviously, look. I mean, the sexuality of vampires is sure. is is a huge part of, of that. Absolutely. Uh, Max is watching from the rafters. And, you know, I think I mentioned it was either last week's episode or the week before, but it just seems as if there's been several instances where Max is off her game. How did she let somebody sneak up on her? Yeah, that that that's that. If we were still doing the really, really, I think that might be I would have to pick that one. Yeah. So she gets knocked out. She's restrained. And Marrow tells her that I make them gods. And he starts to explain to her, you know, why it is that they're attracted to him and again you know we get it you know these are these are kids that were probably homeless or you know whatever just fit in nowhere and he gives them a place to feel important tells her that it's his blood is special even by manticore standards sooner or later the world is going to realize we're out here and when they do i'm going to have my own private army to protect me and i guess that's really what it is he's doing yeah, and this is just, I mean, we said the Lost Boys. I just want to take this moment to say my absolute admiration for the Lost Boys as a movie. I just, back when I was in high school, that was just like the greatest movie ever. Kiefer Sutherland as the main baddie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Magnifique. Um, but you know what? On one level, he's not wrong. Sooner or later, they are going to come after them. And sure. I, like, obviously, White's after them already. Right. Although, again, as we've said, is White does White have two separate agendas? I mean, is he trying to take out Manticore on one hand and on the other hand, you know, move his group right. forward? And he has a Beresford agenda, too. Yeah, exactly. Now, the kids become physically addicted to his blood, and, and when the one girl stops taking the blood, she becomes what we think is irrevocably ill, but he kills her, and, and at that time, we're not sure exactly why he kills her, but then later, obviously, we figure it out. It's just simply to send the message that if you don't drink my blood, you die. Well, but we later on, we learn that they think she... Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, you're right. Sorry. No. Yes, you are right. Because, they, yeah, I, like I thought at first she meant, like, don't drink my blood and I'll kill you. But no, he, he wants them to think that she, she died because she, she didn't continue drinking the blood. Right. So that, you know, yes, they were going to go through this re- withdrawal, but that they would come out of it. Yeah. Uh, it's just that he convinced them, don't, you know, let's not see what actually will happen. All right. So we've got Dr. Sharma in attendance, and it becomes clear that she can't help. Max is conflicted about what to do, and Logan says he'll return the girl to Marrow as Max goes to Joshua's. And I was a little surprised Max let the girl go with Logan. I mean, I guess it, you can't be in two places at the same time. But Well, and she also said she didn't want to go back there, that she, she couldn't. Because she knows like what what we have to do is return her, but she can't bring herself to do it. Right, because on the one hand, she has freed one group of prisoners and look at the results, even though, as we've said a number of times, given that choice again, she'd do the same thing. You know, this is a different group. These are not her Manticore brothers and sisters, although I did find it interesting that he called them sisters and brothers, you know, I guess sure. to use the Manticore terminology with his group. Right. I think just Max just really has this kind of overdeveloped sense of responsibility 
that whenever she sees uh, people in trouble, she feels like, well, because she has the ability, right? It's almost like, I'm not going to say the line from Spider-Man, but, you know, like she has the ability to save them, so she should save them, right? Well, and she has the X5 leadership traits right. in, in her cocktail, right? So we're back at the church. Marrow tries to give blood to Rain to save her, and at the last second, she refuses tells everybody that he lied to them. So you found out my little secret and, you know, she's begging for her life. There's nothing worse than a nagging conscience, which obviously we know parallels what Max is going through. And of course it right on cue, she bursts through the window as he's about to kill her. Right. Which I didn't expect at all. It's so surprising. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they're fighting rain enters the room, apparently recovered, tells the others about the lie and, you know, the, the obviously the vampire references finally pay off as she sends him flying backwards, impaling him on some huge spike going through his chest. And uh, turns out they do recover from the shakes. He just didn't want them to know. And Rain tells Max, and we again know where this is kind of headed. It must be nice to have a friend like Logan who believes in you. Mm-hmm. So... Although, as we said at the top of the show, it does seem to be Logan that's the one keeping them apart and not Max. It's just that Max is tired of waiting and going to have a good time. But Sure. No. Why would she not? Exactly. So the only other little storyline really is the whole thing with Joshua making another <laughs> ill-advised foray into the world. <laughs> and how classic is his first Jampony experience. He's wearing the helmet that Alec gave him, which was perfect. Right. Knocks, knocks on the door. Woman answers. What's she holding? A cat. <laughs> oh, but no, let's not stop there. Here, could you hold this for a second? Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was funny. Gets scratched, and then he encounters that other jam pony. Or, as you said, it could have been another courier service, but but clearly another bike messenger. And immediately, oh, you got scratched badly? Here, this will help you out. <laughs> oh, father's pipe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably uh, not uh, quite like it, father. Uh, well, Though, if yeah. father worked for Manicord, uh, yes, you go. exactly like father's exactly. pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that guy even says that. But uh, uh, you know, and, and then at the diner, where Joshua finally gets comfortable with a group outside of his group. Right. And we knew what was going to happen. We sure. knew he was going to take the helmet off. And Had we, to happen. And we kind of suspected that they would react. I don't, I don't know how he did. ate the chicken wings without taking it off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with buffalo in their cocktail. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. They freak out. He runs out. And, you know, that's pretty much all we see with him. So, I, again, it's it's a shame that he can't get out. But how many times can they use this plot device? Right. And you know, like, really, you've just been hanging out with this guy forever. You're stoned. So your reactions are going to be a little more subdued as it is. It's not like he, he looks monstrous. No. You know, he just looks a little different. Like, come on, stoner dudes. You should be a lot more progressive than you are. Especially with the guy you've just been hanging out with for God knows how long, right? Yeah, one would think. Yeah. Yep. So that that was a little surprising. Back and in my day, stoners were much more open-minded, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we get to the closing scene. It's the next morning. Max arrives with breakfast, and the two of them eat. But he's depressed. And and again, as you you know, you mentioned that whole uh, Joshua sees life go go by through the window and and life looks back and screams at joshua and it's going to be a long time before he ventures out and 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 the other thing is we do really see that this that his art was not just a passing fancy that that it really is something that you know just i think really speaks to him and and he takes seriously and you know in fact even when alex offering him all the money to do that no rather paint so anyway, um, anything else you want to mention about this episode? So you know, at the end, it's this idea like these you know the the lost boys and girls are going to be okay, and I'm like they're so not okay. 
you know, like, th- like, as you said before, they were there for a reason. And it's not because they were all on scholarship at Harvard, right? Exactly. Like these kids were living on the fringes of, of society, as it were. They just found this group. They're still on the fringes. They're, they're still going to have to live rough. They're still going to have to do, ba- you know, what they did before in order to make a living, probably. It's not like they're going to all go to, you know, drop what their, their previous lives and, go to law school or something you know there's they're still gonna hustle they're still gonna jack up bars and stuff like that so and i'm not saying that max is responsible for them but for her to just kind of sit back and say oh they're gonna be okay now it's just ludicrous right well that's true and, and like you said they're they probably were doing this before marrow it's just that with marrow's blood it became a lot easier right right um, and the um, last thing is oh i'm sorry you said no go ahead uh, it's just when you know Logan has that fake distress call at the end, and Max shows up. He's like saying, "Oh, there's like flying things around, or whatever." And she goes, "Oh no, it's like just the worst ever." Oh no, it's just like so. Yeah, but I like that because she right away, or not right away, but but she quickly realized it was but, just an excuse to get her. But there. I don't think she knew it at the time, though. Did she? When, when well, she not, said, "Oh not no," at first, right? So it's yeah. just a really bad. Oh no, I didn't like it. All right, and then uh, she finally says, "I'll take what I can get." Yep, and that's how it ends. And, which is and, which is what my wife said. That was our wedding vow. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, there's something that just doesn't sit well with me with, with that line. I'll take what I can get because she deserves so much more. And and okay, we get it. Uh, you know that they can't be physically together until we deal with this virus, bitch. But, yeah, I knew you'd like that. Um, <laughs> Not um, so much. So I get it, but it just, I don't know. There's just something rubbed me the wrong way about it. So, oh, well. Oh, well. We want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about But Dark not Ga- you guys. You guys over there we're thanking, but not you over there. You know who I'm talking about. That's right. Let us know about Dark Angel, anything else you think we should be watching. I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, you can spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week when we discuss Dark Angel episode 15 of season two titled Forget About It. But until nice. then. Hey, Dave, a uh, new episode of The Expanse is on tonight, right? Yeah. So tonight we're going to party like it's 2099. <laughs>